sometimes employees working in an animal shelter have some tough times in their day. Um, people are surrendering pets that are close to their hearts and it can be very painful um, as well as, as joyful when we're, when we're bringing new families together, adopting a new pet. So, um, so taking care of employees and having that self-care focus is a, is a really key part of our culture of care. Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And we're from Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, at the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, we talk to thought leaders, we discuss great books, and we get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners. And we let you in on helpful apps, bring you the news, and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. Hey, Elizabeth, I love coming to the cafe. What's on today's menu? I do too, Tracy. Today's highlight is our interview with Audrey Lang and Tina Wynn. These women are stars of Employer of the Year winner, the San Diego Humane Society. They've built a care-centered culture, which is improving their ability to rehabilitate animals while at the same time increasing the level of bliss among their employees. We'll also let you in on an app we're using to jazz up learner engagement. And we'll let you in on our personal struggles with a paradox that might surprise you. The opposite of talking isn't listening. It's waiting to talk. Really? But it's a great day at the cafe. Still, Tracy. Good. Up next, hot Tracy, this app inserts a jolt of competition into a learning platform, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's called Kahoot, and it's been around for a while, but like many virtual providers as of late, they have upped their game. Primarily, Kahoot is simply a quiz app. It makes a virtual quizzes fun and, as you note, competitive. But Kahoot will also poll audiences, create word clouds, check for understanding with puzzles, and it does have some brainstorming tools too. I was reintroduced to this app by Antonio Nava from UC San Diego. Tony was teaching a yellow belt class to UC San Diego employees and he invited me to sit in. Thank you, Tony. So one way to incorporate this app is the way Tony used it. If you are an instructor, you can create a Kahoot quiz to review a topic with the class. It's really easy to set up a quiz. Then you share the link and a passcode with everyone who is going to participate. This app is great for people who are a little bit competitive. They've got a competitive spirit. It will monitor who answers all the questions correctly and how quickly too. The app will assign points for both correctness and speed of answer after every question. Then. Kahoot will display the top five people with the most points. It provides updates for the participants on winning streaks or for those who are quickly making progress up the point scale. And at the end of the quiz, it puts the top three people's names on podiums with a Kahoot dance and confetti. <laughs> this is a much more exciting way to conduct a virtual review than I've seen in a while. So of course, 
as soon as I saw Tony use it, I turned around, opened an account, set up a quiz for my upcoming Greek belt class the next day, and it was a hit. Of course you did. Why wait, Tracy? You were like such a woman of action, like boom, you see it? And boom, I'm going to use it. Um, but that's a, it's a good example. I appreciated Kahoot. We were at the AME conference last year in Chicago. For those of you uh, not familiar with AME, it's the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. They put on phenomenal conferences and they used it in between presenters to engage the audience. And I remember thinking, we could use that in our training. Of course, you know, I, I spaced, but uh, you grabbed it, which is great. Uh, I looked up uh, pricing levels for anyone interested. I know for us we'll, that we have education discounts. There's lots of levels for people who are either casual or, you know, business users. users. You can have uh, free, I think, up to 10 people. If you want to, you could have 10 bucks a month for 20 it's then 19 a month for 50, $39 a month for 100. And I think the top level is 59 a month for 2,000 players. Pretty soon, Tracy, we're going we're gonna to need the top level for thousands of players. So you need, uh, you need the internet, uh, you need a Kahoot account, and you need Zoom if that's your platform. Tracy and I using, obviously, uh, Zoom. And then your participants need access to the internet. They need a laptop or a desktop. And it's best if they use playing uh, or they play using their cell phones. So I'm not, I'm guessing that's what they did with yours, Tracy. And you provide them with a pin number as Tracy described to get into your quiz. And there's lots of quiz templates and there's lots of pre-made quizzes you could choose from. And of course you can create your own. So um, I thought, uh, it's great. It's a really powerful and like you say, jazzes it right up. I'm Elizabeth Swan and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Audrey Lang and Tina Wen, and hear about how the San Diego Humane Society has responded to COVID by becoming more employee focused, which is translated to employees becoming increasingly animal focused. Uh, and it's an inspiring conversation, but be warned it may cause you to immediately adopt a kitten. It's happening to me right now. <laughs> I already applied to adopt one and my family doesn't like kittens. So I don't know what I'm gonna do. Next up, it's a question we'd like to pose to our listeners about listening. Do you ever struggle to truly listen to others? And this came from a comment a colleague made to me years ago. He said, the opposite of talking isn't listening. It's waiting to talk, which is so true. <laughs> I remember working with a consulting firm where I swear all the principal consultants, and they were a lot older than me by, at that time, they all developed this stutter. When we were in the conference room, I noticed that all of them did it and they would continue to say, and, 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 and another reason for this, like, they would use it to hold the floor. You know, it was like filibustering. And I was like, oh, they're trying to maintain airspace. And the other thing I noticed for myself is that, you know, we process words much faster uh, than speaking. So people are talking and we're already working on our next sentence. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I got another story or I got something to add or that happened to me or whatever it is, like you can't help yourself. So 
uh, I posted this uh, in a series I've been doing with these posts. And I swear it was the fastest responses I've seen in any of my posts for like the past month. And there were some great comments and a lot of great reflections and tools that people were using to deal with it. One hilarious uh, comment from uh, a colleague, Jamie Flinchbaugh, said that he could, but what if I, what I have to say is more interesting <laughs> than the person who's talking? I was like, okay. Uh, that I, but he, he was being tongue in cheek, just saying, but that's what's happening in our brains. You know, we're, we're struggling and I'm impatient, but listening is key, you know, for so many reasons. And if you're naturally listening to others, then you are leading to one of the eight ways, which is the non utilization of talent. You're not taking that in. So it's huge. What about you, Tracy? Okay. Finally, I get to talk. <laughs> But what I was saying was so interesting. <laughs> and the funny thing is I'm laughing so hard right now because I never wait to talk. I just talk. <laughs> I, just, I just blow right through people and I just have something to say and I say it. And I think it's because I'm extremely extroverted and my natural inclination is to talk. And I'm probably sure that people have thought in their heads, okay, why doesn't she take a breath or something like that? And I'm sure you have experienced this as well, Elizabeth, because- Not around you. <laughs> I remember we were doing a, a class together and you had said to me, Tracy, why are you just like, you're in there like right away and like, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm filling air, right? You remember I said that I'm filling air. I don't want there to be any air. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but I am extremely introvert, extroverted, but I have two things going for me that counteract this natural inclination to wait to talk. First of all, I have a genuine interest and curiosity to learn more about people and how they think. And I am a natural conversationalist, so it does make it easier to listen and shoot for a two-way dialogue because I truly am interested. Um, and the other piece that I, I'm very grateful for is in my early career decades ago, before I was even involved in process improvement, I was trained to ask questions. My boss at the time, his name was Gary Chaves, one of the best bosses I ever had. He told me that I would be learning this interactive discovery training method. I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And he had me learn it. And then he told me that I had to design all the training with pre-planned questions inserted every 15 minutes. And I didn't want to do it, uh, but I saw the power in the classroom with the level of dialogue and engagement. And I had to listen to the answer. And after doing that for many years, I started transferring that skill into outside the classroom. And I have to do a lot of listening in the role that you and I have, which is in Greenbelt classes. We have to listen to their projects, their problems. We have to help them get to the next stage of their project. We can't do that if we're not listening. So this part of my job requires me to be a good listener. But when I do this for eight hours straight, I am exhausted. Listening is hard. And after doing that all day, I will tell you that my husband doesn't think I'm a good listener. <laughs> There's got to be a limit on how much you can actually hear in one day, because after one of these days, I can't process what he is saying at 
all. I feel sorry for my husband. The poor guy feels the brunt of my long listening day because I don't hear anything he says. You are all listened out. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you need a little food. Then you can probably start listening. Good. A little food, a little <laughs> glass of wine, kind of regenerate, start listening. You know, since I posted that question online, I, I got some great antidotes uh, to this problem, which I so appreciate. We have some very experienced colleagues. Uh, count to 10 came up a number of times. And I know from other conversations I've had that there's neuroscience behind what seems like an arbitrary number, but something happens to you if you, in, in fact, the number is 11, not 10. But if you wait those beats, uh, in this case, to stop yourself from jumping in, and that came from Katie Anderson. She had some nice comments around that. And Mark Rabin, uh, another contributor, Sunitha Narayanan, and forgive me, Sunitha, if I'm mispronouncing, she visualizes herself as a container to receive. So that's a lovely thought, just having that visualization so you know that that's what you're all about. And then Jamie Flinchbow, again, he said he takes notes while people talk. And I realize I, as you know, have done that for years. I've got over 50 notebooks filled with every conversation I've probably ever had. And what it does to you is makes you focus. You really listening. And I'm listening for gems. I'm listening for content. I'm writing things down. I can come back to it. I, can, I reference these things. I think, oh, so-and-so talked about an app that was great. Let me go back to that because I know I wrote it down because I write everything down. There were lots of others. They're great, but that totally stood out. Uh, the trick is self-awareness. And uh, were you trying to say something, Tracy? I wasn't listening. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think it's harder in this virtual world to listen because just like we know, there's so many distractions when we're training people in a virtual environment. I think the distractions are there for meetings, for conversations. You've got, you're on Zoom, but you've got your email open. You've got your, your notepads out. I feel like there, there's so many more distractions that I actually hear people saying more. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Can you repeat that? Yeah. Because there, we know that it's not listening. So I agree with you. It is self-awareness and I have to check myself a lot to make sure I'm still listening. I know. What? <laughs> I'm Tracy O'Rourke and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or the JIT Cafe YouTube channel where you can watch the video version. Coming up next, it's our featured guest. Not everyone knows about the Humane Society, Tracy. So why don't you fill them in and... Tell us a little bit about Audrey Lang and Tina Wynn. Okay, I would be happy to do that. The San Diego Humane Society is an open admission animal shelter focused on creating a more humane world by inspiring compassion and advancing the welfare of animals and people. So although the San Diego Humane Society is a private, independent, nonprofit organization that is not affiliated with any other humane society, for the prevention of cruelty to animals, their life-saving safety net has helped San Diego become the largest city in the U.S. to protect healthy and treatable shelter animals from being euthanized. I'm so happy and proud mm -hmm. to hear that. The Humane Society provides animal services for 14 cities within San Diego County. They have over 500 employees and they care for 50 
thousand animals. And they also share their learning and expertise with other shelters nationwide to help save more animal lives in their communities. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with Audrey Lang, the Senior Vice President of Organizational Development and Tina Wynn, the Vice President of Employee Engagement. And I just have to say a shout out to Brett and Evans at Integris for making the introduction and letting me know about the good work they're doing over there because I did not know. They've been living up their dream of creating a culture of care. And they're going to share what, we've, what they've done to build this culture of, of care, including diversity and equity, employee engagement and process improvement. It is going to be a discussion chock full of inspiration for process improvement and animals. Welcome to the cafe. We have some very special guests with us today. Audrey Lang and Tina Wynn from the San Diego, San Diego Humane Society. How are you girls doing today? Just great. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to the cafe to talk about what you guys are doing at the San Diego Humane Society. I'm really excited to hear. I've been hearing some rumblings from, well, I guess I have Brett Cooper to thank from Integris Performance Advisors for, for telling me about the great work you guys have been doing at the San Diego Humane Society, specific, specifically around your focus on their culture of care. So I was very intrigued about this, uh, this effort that you're doing. And I'd love to hear a little bit first about your culture of care. So can you tell us a little bit about why you started that and what it's about? Sure, um, I'll go ahead. I um, joined the Humane Society about three years ago. And at that time, we were just embarking upon expansion. So we had half the number of employees we have now. Uh, we currently have 525 and we have contracts with 13 cities, including San Diego, uh, across San Diego County. And it was such a warm and wonderful feeling here um, when I first came to the Humane Society. And as we were preparing to double in size, we wanted to be intentional about holding on to that culture as we brought in very quickly 200 new employees to handle our expanded work. Wow. And what was the premise of the culture of care? What, tell us, because I love that name and it really intrigued me. Tell me a little bit about how that started and why you chose that. Sure, it, it really became um, a catchphrase for our core values, which are compassion, courage, impact, inclusion, and integrity. And so rather than run through all of those, we, we sort of referred to it in short as our, as our culture of care and, and defining the way that we interact with each other and with the communities we serve. So since you started this, have you noticed any changes in employee engagement? Well, you know, I think that uh, when uh, we started in 2018, one of the intentions was to ensure that we continue to have our culture of care, how, however that uh, was. And um, by doubling in size, 
the concern was that we're going to change the culture. And if we're going to have more new employees than we did with existing employees, we wanted to make sure that the, the culture resonated. And um, I think that by doing so, it really perpetuated the culture that was already there, but really outlined exactly what we were looking for. And so it was very intentional on, you know, how we selected employees to the organization by really focusing on our values and bringing people in that met the same values that we had. And so I think that that really helped reinforce the culture and, and, and you know, it really enhanced um, that engagement uh, for all employees because the people that were there and the new people that came on board. And it was really in collaboration with our communications department that we started an internal communications campaign around that culture of care. So we had uh, quarterly town hall meetings with our CEO talking about that. We um, folded it into our training programs. So we did DISC training through Integris, um, cohesive teams training, and really tried to make sure everyone is, was experiencing that they were cared for and treated with respect and, and feeling included. And since you say it changed your intentions around hiring, that means that your HR process also had to have those, have questions included in that process, the screening process that would help you find people that had those values. That sounds like kind of easier said than done, but that's probably part of it, right? Exactly. More like a value-based decision-making. Um, you know, we can train for skills, but you can't uh, train for those behaviors that you're really looking for. So the interview questions really extracted those uh, behaviors and the values that, you know, we feel are very important for the organization. So you had said that it was sort of elevating what was already there, the culture, but being more intentional about moving forward, especially with so many large employees, what were some of the things that you did differently or changed intentionally as a result of this effort? One of the things that we did uh, were some videos that were just done on an iPhone um, my dog Moses and I would do these little recordings and, and say, we called it, what would Moses do? So uh, we would feature a different core value each time. And one of the examples was, um, what would Moses do when working with new people that aren't um, as familiar with the work as, as we are? And we would show him meeting a new dog and how they were a little standoffish and everything. So it was about, um, you know, being patient and helping others learn and making them feel included in our culture, being patient. Um, and we really introduced this idea of being a learning organization too and, and asking why, why do we do things this way? Is there a better way to do them? Um, and we really talked a lot about normalizing the fact that when you go through a big change like this, it's going to take time for it to feel um, comfortable again and just expect it to be confusing and, um, and to have new processes coming into place. And we really invited everyone to be a part of that, finding, finding better ways to do things in our new larger size. I love that you brought your dog into it and that his name is Moses. So he's a leader. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. What better role models are there than our pets? He's it. He's it. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you had in embarking on this kind of cultural transformation? Did you say embarking? <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> I, was, I was channeling Moses. <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? I was distracted by that. Book. By the pun? <laughs> I'm going to watch my puns now. Um, did you have any challenges as you rolled out? Actually, <laughs> could be rolled over. No, as you rolled out uh, this program. Well, part of it was just getting to all of our campuses. We now have five. And so we, we um, all of the senior leaders really put in a lot of uh, miles on their cars to drive out and be there in person, face to face. Of course, this was before COVID, mm. um, but we really felt that there's nothing like being there. And um, we wear name tags here at the Humane Society, not to be rigid, but to know each other's names and to mm. call each other by name. And that, that starts with our CEO. He's um, he is a veterinarian and he's Dr. Weitzman, but to everyone here, he's scary. Mm. You had, uh, I know that we, when we talked, Audrey, before you were talking about how there were some gaps that you felt like there were some gaps and that you were hoping to fulfill them. And one of it was the employees reflecting the communities that they work in. Did you want to tell a little bit more about that? Sure. Actually, Tina is the leader for our diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, and they have done so much. So I'm going to pass it to her to talk about wonderful things they've done. Yeah, thank you, Audrey. Uh, um, we historically in animal welfare um, are not um, as diverse as other other professions, and we recognize that. And one of the things that we had embarked on with our diversity, equity, and inclusion committee um, last year was identifying that we wanted to have more diversity um, within our organization so that we can reflect the communities that we serve. Um, and so uh, running metrics as far as what's in the local county and how does our organization compare and then trying to work on focused recruitment so that we can draw in um, candidates within the organization. So that's something that we have been working on. Um, and of course, with COVID, we have slowed down our hiring, but we're um, cognizant that when we are going to be hiring in the future, that we're going to try to focus on areas where we haven't done before. We have relied on the, the posting internally within our um, job postings, and we get our candidates. But right now, we're trying to focus on where do we want to post where we historically have not posted so that we can get more diversity? Um, but in addition to that, um, you know, we really worked hard on determining what's really most important and um, making employees feel included and a sense of belonging is really where we're focusing a lot of our efforts right now because our recruitment has um, slowed down. Um, but uh, we have a lot of efforts that we're doing within the organization to help people feel included um, wherever they're at. That's so great. It's been an amazing journey. Um, yeah, I want to address something you just brought up, Tina, which is mm -hmm. this idea of even organizations that say, oh, we are, you know, we're blind. We just, you know, we hired the best candidate. 
But what you acknowledge that people don't often focus on is where are you looking? And I've heard that described as what tributaries are you accessing? Because often we access the same ones again and again, and we don't really think about that that's narrowing our choices. Uh, so you have to consciously and intentionally go after different avenues to find people. And obviously you're, there's a, there's a few drum beats now where we're waiting to ramp back up post, mm -hmm. uh, post COVID, but you're in position uh, to pay attention to that. That's, and that's great. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. And in, in fact, when we did uh, do a lot of hiring in 2018, um, our diversity did increase. And a part of the reason we created a diversity committee was because we wanted to not only bring broader diversity here, but we also wanted everyone to feel welcome and included. And so some of the things that uh, the diversity and equity and inclusion committee um, have done so far include book clubs and discussion groups. Um, it's really a grassroots effort across the whole organization that is employee led. Yeah. One thing I was reading just at a, a list of techniques to uh, be more inclusive and the technique was show don't tell, mm -hmm. which is what do people see on your website? Do they see themselves there? And obviously there's gonna be predominantly animals, but, <laughs> but when, and there should be diversity there too, right? <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, we really do uh, try to diversify our animal population, companion animals, wildlife, mm. and the same, same with um, our workforce as well. And so not only is it diversity in people, but professions, um, making sure that all of our uh, occupations are addressed, um, all the different locations that we have are addressed so that there is inclusion across the board. And of course, it's a work in progress, but we are very thoughtful and mindful of it. And so I think having that deep intention of including mm -hmm. everybody is um, a, a big effort that we are continuing to undertake. That's amazing, wonderful. I think you also raised a good point hiring diversity and making sure they're comfortable in the environment are two separate things, right? And so typically a, an organization's culture is obviously if you have one uh, group of or type of people um, that defines the culture. And so what kinds of things happened as you in, included or uh, inserted more diversity? How did, how did you accommodate for that? So when we started our um, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee, um, we knew that our team alone was the representation of the whole organization. So we also created subgroups um, that we call work groups because we didn't want it to be hierarchical. And um, that allowed a lot of people to be involved in their own way. And then based on the groups that were formed, they created you know, the recognition group where they determined how uh, we would celebrate different types of, um, you know, geographics, religions, uh, you know, races, um, DEI type of recognition, the way that they want to do it for the organization. Um, or we had other people that were interested in, in book groups and the team members decided what type of uh, book talks we would focus on. And so it really helped them um, create this with using their own voice and using what they were interested in. And so that was um, 
um, some of the tactics that we used so that people feel included and, and they got to drive what, what interested them. Mm. Um, these are great. I love the examples and things like the book club. You guys are being, uh, giving great specifics. Uh, I'm going to shift topic a little bit because the transformation of culture is that underpinning for continuous improvement. And I wanted to ask, how does process improvement um, fit into the culture of care? Sure. Um, we have been we have been rolling out process improvement over the last two years, department by department, so that every department gets a chance to participate and really learn the tools and and apply them not only during the two day Kaizen event, but beyond that, we check in with them monthly and they develop uh, new STPs, new goals for improving their processes. And we ask them to focus on two things, not just making processes more efficient, but also making their lives better, their work lives better. So that might um, around our culture of care. So reducing stress and um, having people want to stay here for a long, long time, um, making, making this workplace a sustainable place for them to, to grow and, and learn and be engaged. That is fascinating. Can you just tell me briefly, or say for the audience, what's STP? Sure, it's situation, proposal, and I'm sorry, situation, target, and proposal. Situation, target, proposal. I always come back to like CVS, which is a big player right now with um, COVID and nobody knows what CVS stands for. <laughs> like these acronyms just get lost. We're like, uh, I think I thought I knew what it meant, but it's gone now. Um, what I wanted to say was the, 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 one of the premises you're saying, which is, you know, how does it impact, impact the employee? And Tracy and I did a, a trip to Japan and one of the places we visited was Ina Foods and the chairman who's, um, he's, um, um, he's, his son is now running the company, but he wrote a book called Tree Growth Management. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, mm -hmm. but the whole premise of all improvements was employee uh, happiness. Yeah. Like the whole point of everything was that his people were content and yeah. it was an amazing impact on that organization. People traveled from around the entire country to come just see the grounds because they keep such beautiful grounds and all the employees are involved in it. And it's anyway, it just reminded me of that, that people forget how powerful that is. That if people know that it's really about uh, creating this great environment, like why would you not want to be involved in that? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and one of the things that we implemented too was a, a bliss program for that very reason to have employees, um, build some bliss into their their work day and have a chance to re-energize in whatever way that made sense for them. So at our Escondido campus, for instance, uh, we gave them a little bit of funding and, and uh, one thing they identified that they wanted was a nice courtyard where they, um, it was previously just a 
you know, the center of some buildings and uh, wasn't used. And, and they put in some uh, comfy furniture, some bird feeders, uh, some garden space. And, um, and they use that now as a kind of a de-escalation area. They can go out there and eat lunch or, or just have a few minutes alone. And, and it's beautiful. At another campus, they decided bliss for them would be having tea time. So they have a, a tea table and um, also a, a bliss room with low lighting. And um, sometimes employees working in an animal shelter have some tough times in their day. Um, people are surrendering pets that are close to their hearts and it can be very painful um, as well as, as joyful when we're, when we're bringing new families together, adopting a new pet. So, um, so taking care of employees and having that self-care focus is a, is a really key part of our culture of care. Tracy, we need that. We need to have a build bliss into your workday campaign. Definitely. I love that. Yes. Uh, so tell me what, Tina, what are you most proud of? What are you most proud of with employee engagement so far uh, since you've been on this journey? That employees truly are engaged. I think that we do have the benefit that many people that come to our organization, um, they love animals. So we have a commonality. Um, but in addition to that, everybody wants to do the right thing. Um, they want to improve and we're giving them tools to be able to improve and they're embracing it. And so what I really love about that is that we have created this culture where people do feel like they have a voice, that they can take action and improve. They don't need to have uh, you know, approvals to do that. And knowing that doing the right thing, um, if that's their intent, that um, they have the permission to do that. And they do, and they do speak up when they feel that something is not right. And it helps facilitate that growth, that improvement, um, and that it's just not top down, but it's employees, you know, speaking up with each other, with their leadership, and um, and they have a voice. I really, um, really appreciate that. And we listen. That's the other part. It's, of course, um, having a voice doesn't mean anything if nobody's listening. <laughs> and we do have a very um, collaborative uh, and supportive leadership team that truly um, takes employee feedback to heart. And so when we did an employee engagement survey, we reviewed the results. Uh, we focus on areas that we need improvement. Um, and we also celebrate the things that are working well. And so that process and that continuous improvement um, is happening. And th that I appreciate because we're really doing what we're saying that we're gonna do, which is listen to the employees and take action. Um, can you give us an example or two of some of your process improvement success stories? Mm. Sure. Um, one of them was with the foster and rescue team. And one thing that um, I think the thing I love most about doing process improvement here is that uh, employees who participate in the process improvement team really, really get into it. They come in with great ideas. They jump right on it. They're, we put the tools in their hands. We map out their processes and they come away with um, you know, about six different goals that they want to implement. And on the second day of 
the Kaizen event, they present that to their leadership team and also to our broader leadership team, including our CEO, and um, and are really given the go-ahead, yes, um, you, you go ahead and implement those things, assign parts to your, your leadership, and then we come back monthly to check in. And so um, one of the examples of, of process improvement project that was done was called Kitten Tracks. And this was a, um, an effort to improve the efficiency with which the caregivers for little neonate kittens in our kitten nursery um, could access the, the weights of the kittens. And this is really crucial when they're, when they're little tiny babies, you have to watch their weight uh, several times throughout the day to know, you know if, if, you've, if you've got to make some adjustments because very quickly they can, um, they can go in the wrong direction. And so it's literally a matter of life and death. And so the process improvement team created uh, an Excel spreadsheet that interacted with our, uh, with our database and it really made it much more efficient to see in one place the, the weights throughout the day of multiple kittens and, and really be able to literally save more lives. And so you can imagine the kind of satisfaction and joy that came with, with employees coming up with something like that. Oh, I love that. Mm. Baby kittens. How, how many baby kittens are in the, the neonatal section in a day, would you say, or a week? Oh, it, 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 can be, it can be hundreds um, it, between being in the nursery and out at foster homes. Um, our, our kitten season, our baby season for animals in San Diego is, um, is really all but three months out of the year. So we have a lot of baby animals coming and going all the time. Wow. That's Project amazing. Wildlife as, as well. We take in, um, we take in wildlife that's injured or, um, or orphaned and, and rehabilitate and release when possible. Oh, so that. Oh, the imagery already, it's like, oh. Uh, I have another example of a process improvement. Now, this is, there's a, a bigger picture of the process improvement, but just a small component of it was when we had guest relations uh, do their process improvement. And they recognized the fact that not everybody speaks Spanish. And we do have a large population of guests that come in that speak Spanish. And they wanted to do something um, more to communicate with the guests. So we were able to then pull together a um, list of employees who speak uh, different languages and be a, a laundry list for employees that if they had a guest that spoke in Polish or, uh, or Spanish, Italian, Vietnamese, um, myself included, um, that they could call one of those employees to help translate. So that was just another improvement component where one, it's an improvement for the guests. We included employees um, in this and it's also you know a DEI component where they really want to help guests feel included so that's just another example but there's many many more I love I'm glad those. you brought that up Tina because um, one of the things that the DEI committee has identified recently is the need for American Sign Language and so they're actually going to be hosting a class here very exciting so it sounds like really good stuff is happening. And 
I was working with an organization who embarked on a cultural transformation as well. And they were using their employee engagement surveys to, as a sort of uh, black and white, is this working? And they did see improvements and increases in their employee engagement scores. But what I love about it was the anecdotal pieces too. They would say, it feels different. It just feels different here. And they'd say, I don't know, it's like leaders care more or something. <laughs> and so you have talked a lot about the anecdotal pieces, which I absolutely love. And it sounds like things are working. Are you also seeing it in the metric of employee engagement? I would say we, we do. Um, we do measure it um, and we, you know, we remeasure again to see where we're at. And um you know, proud to say that we also were awarded the top employer um, by San Diego's Union Tribune um, 2020. So it really does um, help, you know, support what we're seeing and then um, getting that award as well. Uh, but we're continuing to measure um, because you can't really improve something unless you know where you're at and where you want to be. Uh, but that's definitely uh, something that we saw. Yeah, and, and when we did get our employee uh, experience results, uh, we shared them department by department and came up with action steps with the leaders and employees of each of those groups because we are so big, um, people's day-to-day -day experience varies so much. Definitely. What are some, what is like a big project or what's sort of a current effort for you guys? What's a current focus? Uh, recognition. Mm -hmm. um, I think that especially with uh, COVID too, working remotely, working differently, having different teams, um, just trying to find the way to recognize employees on the spot. And so that is something that we're, we're um, working on right now, finding ways of doing things. Um, and it's perfect because May 5th is, um, actually, March 5th is uh, Employee Recognition Day, and so we have communication being sent out to the leaders so that they can post thank yous and your wonderful, awesome job across, um, you know, our campuses and in the areas and just finding ways to recognize employees um, from both the individual level and the mm -hmm. organizational level. So um, that's something that we know that, you know, everybody's recognition is different. Um, and so we want to make sure that we give the tools to supervisors to be able to hone in on employees' individual needs and feel recognized. That's great. We recognize with food around here a lot. Um, every couple of months or so, including this week, we'll be taking ice cream treats and, uh, and popsicles to all of our campuses. And that's um, delivered face-to-face -face by organizational leaders. And, um, and we make sure that we, we take time to talk with employees and, and hear how things are going. Could you bring any of those to the cafe for Tracy and me? <laughs> no? Uh, yes, we did, Over. virtually. <laughs> we'll take those, thank you. Uh, and the only other question I have, you, you mentioned it a little bit just now, Tina. When COVID hit, what were some of the things that you did to maintain your culture of care? I mean, we're all obviously all uh, became very reactive in responding to COVID, what were some of the things that you guys did uh, at San Diego Humane Society to um, 
reach out and make employees feel that there was still a lot of care there? Um, I would have to say I'm truly proud with the response from senior leadership and, and especially Audrey too, um, because the first message was, you know, this is this is a pandemic. It's impacting everybody. You may be worried about your own safety, your own health, family members, but you know, if you need to be where you need to be, be there. Don't worry about losing pay. We continued employees' pay and benefits if they needed to call out. If they were fearful, um, they had to be home with their children because schools closed. They didn't have to worry about their paycheck. And so um, that was the first response. Um, and that really, really didn't resonate with employees until after they started to experience their family members, their friends and family losing jobs, losing pay and realizing that um, they didn't have that loss. So I think that was the first um, of many other efforts that we did. Um, then the second thing was also giving people time off in addition to um, that initial wave uh, to take care of family and friends or to be sick and being able to be paid when they're sick and not worrying about it. So it, uh, it's all surrounding security um, and making people feel that they're cared for as individuals and that we respect people wherever they're at. Um, and we had a lot of variation during that time period. So those are the two things. Um, Audrey, do you have more things to add? I know there's a lot more that we did in addition yeah. to the- Well, one thing was to very quickly virtualize our processes. Oh. And so uh, people were really innovative in this way. Uh, for instance, pet adoptions. The traditional way is that people come in and they browse, they look through the animals that we have in the shelter, they pick one. That wasn't possible during COVID and so, uh, within a week and a half, our adoption team and um, and our our business intelligence group came up with applications and uh, put everything online so that now the public can go online, look at the pets they might be interested in. They have a virtual adoption appointment where they talk with the adoption counselor about the kind of pet they need. Um, what you know the animals are that we have in the shelter they make the match and they literally drive up and take the animal that they have picked and we have a no fault return policy so if it doesn't work out we ask them to bring the animal back to us and um, and look at other alternatives so um, that was just speed of light change that happened overnight and also enabled our employees to work from home who um, normally wouldn't have been able mm -hmm. to do that. Yes, definitely. The working from home was initiated immediately. Um, we had calls with the organization twice a week initially to keep everybody um, up to date as far as what we're doing because there was um, you know, massive change in our processes programs and it changed by the minute. Um, it really did change by the minute. It seems like such a long time ago, but um, that ongoing communication um, twice a week and then weekly, and we still have um, bi-weekly meetings to update the organization on changes because things were happening so rapidly. And then continuing to communicate in multiple ways, whether it be through virtual Zoom, emails, um, stand-ups, 
um, that ongoing communication uh, was something that we really, really, um, I would say, did a great job in and was successful in. And maybe even too much communication, but, um, but I think that just hearing from employees um, today that we have communicated so much more than other organizations and they're just so thankful to be kept in the loop, even if they weren't directly impacted um, in their departments, but hearing about other department changes, um, hours, processes, really, really um, kept the engagement for the whole organization. It was just more than just them, but knowing what's happening throughout the organization was really helpful. Yes, that is very helpful. I hear that a lot when there's a lot of change. Leadership has a tendency to not communicate as much because they don't know what's happening. So they feel like, well, I don't really know what to say, so I won't say anything. And it actually increases anxiety of employees. So even though you feel like maybe you over-communicate, it's probably the right amount of communication because <laughs> with everything changing, people feel informed and they know what's happening. So that's wonderful. You guys have been so informative and I didn't know half of what is happening inside of the Humane Studies. This has been really an education and a lovely one. Thank you. It was wonderful having you guys at the cafe. And I hope I get to come to San Diego Humane Society in, in a short while uh, to see some of the process improvement things that you guys are doing. But it's wonderful that you've gotten everything online. And so thank you very, very much for sharing your story. And um, we're excited to share it with our audience. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having, having us. us. Stay tuned for information about our April 15th webinar with thought leader Carlos Cruz. During his session, he'll discuss the shingle model and how leaders can use key behavior indicators, also called KBIs, to transform a culture. And tune in for next month's podcast episode, where we interview a team at UC San Diego Health about their success in setting up the Petco vaccine superstation. And now that the Padres are back, how they're applying what they've learned to set up even more vaccine stations. If you're looking for training on how to become a better leader, it is not too late to register for our Lean Six Sigma leader course at UC San Diego, which starts May 18th. Also stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at the JIT Cafe. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E dot com. We are so happy to be back and we are thrilled that you've joined us. The Just In Time Cafe is so much better with all of you. Once again, we hope you enjoyed your jolt of lean caffeine. May 18th, May 18th, May 18th.